I'm Candy Carver, and you are listening to Toro Town Talks. Candy Carver is without a doubt one of Durham's most prominent visual artists. Her vibrant style is unique, powerful, and easily recognized as truly her own. In this interview, Candy talks about her fundamental motivation to create art at all and ponders the classic topic of how to make a living as an artist. She shares insights into her artistic process, gives her best advice to any aspiring full-time artists, and she discusses whether or not doing commission work affects the artistic aspect of what she produces. To kick things off, I'm returning to a question that will be familiar to past listeners of Town Talks. When Candy's had a really good day, what was it that made it so good? My perfect days involve a few things. So if I could get up at like 6.45, 7.15, get to the gym and be out of there before nine o'clock, um, and then come home and paint for six hours, clean up from painting, and go find fun humans to be around, something social. Like what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's like a if it's like a dance party or a panel discussion or um, a, a dinner gathering or dinner with one good person. Um, I like I like the balance of it all. If I'm working too much, I'm not happy. If I'm playing too much, I'm not happy. So I realize it's important for me to figure out a way to do a little bit of both, especially since the work I do, I can't make if if I if I'm not up upward. Like if I'm not feeling upward, I can't create. Since that's how I make my money, I figure I should pay attention to that. Yeah, that's right? a good point. How do you end your good day? Ideally with Japanese whiskey and lavender oil. But <laughs> mixed together. No, no. Lavender <laughs> oil is because I my brain has trouble stopping and slowing down. So at night I try to find I've tr- started trying to find things that um help relax me and calm me into um um a soothing place where I can sl- go to sleep easier or just relax. And then when I'm relaxed, I can sleep. Um, so that I can get up in the morning early enough to go to the gym and get home before nine. Um, so no hangover from the Japanese whiskey? No, because it's Japanese. Have you ever had Japanese oh, whiskey? I have not. You should try it and you'll understand. Oh my gosh, none. There's no such thing as a Japanese whiskey hangover. There isn't. It sounds ha- pretty good. It's wonderful. Uh, so how about a not so good day? What typically happens in one of those? A lot of back and forth and running around, waking up too late. I'm a big morning person. So I like to get up. I said fairly early and get going. Um, and if I, I can get a good chunk of stuff done before noon, I'm very, very happy. Everything else kind of works itself out. But when I start off late and I get going at like 10 or 11, and it doesn't mean I'm out of bed. I'm not out of bed. I just productivity wise. Right. Um, and when there's a lot of back and forth where I um, can't finish tasks because the person needs to call me back, won't call me back, or I've got to send an email three times before I get a response, or I have to come back home and pick up some more paperwork to take out to get a contract signed. The back and forth and run around, it does not feel good to me. Right. It's It feels chaotic. And um, I'm all about feelings. Yeah. And not like womanly, emotional, softy feelings <laughs> like that. I'm about how how you allow feelings to affect and impact um, your life and the things that come, come your way. Mm-hmm. Right. So... So running around chaos and then eating shitty food that doesn't usually feel good to me. But 
That that feels bad. I know right. that's crazy because everybody wants to eat hot dogs and pizza, but I feel guilty, so then I feel bad. Right. So, um, uh, forgetting to eat because I've been running around. I have a habit. Ask anyone that knows me well. I forget to eat all the time. My Facebook post is a, a constant Facebook post, especially when I know I'm having um, some big event that I'm preparing for. I I type remind me to eat when you see me or bring me food. <laughs> Because I just get in a zone and I completely forget. So that sucks because um, then I'm ouchy. It's like called hangry. It's hangry, right? Hangry, yeah. So hangry. So I get hangry. Um, that's a bad thing that happens. Um, sometimes going to sleep late can be good or bad. It just depends on the situation. If I'm out having fun, that's fine. I'll work it out. Right. Um, but um, anything that any kind of any situations that are chaotic or cause conflict between me and other people. <laughs> I could do without that. Right. So different kind of question here. Okay. Uh, in everything that you do in your life, how do you separate that which is art from that which is not? You're going to make me say something really artsy right here. I just want Please. you to know that, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, what isn't art? Sure. Okay. Yeah. And, and I say that because... I had a, I had maybe maybe I had like a like a, a a genre that I created in right, mm -hmm. and then I'll get bored or I'll be somewhere else and I'll see something that 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 um that speaks to me, and I'll play with it and try it out in the in the creative spectrum, or a friend they'll drop something off and be like, hey, can you do something with this? And like I've never done that before, but I say yes a lot. I say yes a lot because it's an opportunity for me to grow. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's how I'm here, because I just say yes to things because I know it's good for me in some capacity or another. If it comes my way, it's probably good for me. So I say yes. Um, I, I don't work too hard to separate them. But what I do do is I am conscious of separating play and work. Right. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes socially, because people may know me for what I do in my own community. They kind of, the dialogue comes up. Friends might be informing me about something, so they mean to be helpful. And they tell me something. Um, but I try to cut, have a cutoff time for, for those kind of interactions. Uh, I, I do a lot of sales and customer interaction stuff on social media. I have to shut down and just not respond. It's a little hard some days, just because you know that's how you make your money. But... Um, at a certain time of the in the evening, I just you're probably not gonna get a response until the next day. Right. right. Um, so I try to separate the the work and the play or the work and the social time. Um and that doesn't tend to be terribly hard for me, I don't think. Right. Because I get that I need both of them for me to even function. Would you mind sharing your office hours? <laughs> I guess they're nine to five-ish, but not really. They're probably more like Eight to seven ish, partially because I I'm such a morning person and I'm so productive at the earlier part of the day that and I recognize I notice I, I kind of spiral downward in regards to my capacity to accomplish things <laughs> <laughs> around three or four o'clock. So I do my best to schedule as much as I can, as early as I can to get things done. So um, I try to keep it early. Oh yeah. But I've definitely had some instances where it's been an ongoing dialogue for the day. My best customer, she started off. It was a, it was a 
12 email day, 12 emails between the two of us. And I was really frustrated. <laughs> but she turned, I guess, it's, but by the end of the day, she wound up purchasing way more than she, not in a bad way, but in a good way. She, she changed her mind about what she wanted and wound up making it a better investment, actually. Right. <laughs> the way she, the way, the way she went about purchasing. And, um, it, it, she's, this, this is, she's on her fifth piece, her fifth, her fifth, like original painting. So I give them a little leeway if, if we're having dialogue all day, but oh, yeah. if you hit me up at like 1045, you're just going to sit there. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. um so how would you describe your motivation to create art at all feeling good so initially i want to say that it was unintentionally cathartic i don't know that i knew that that's what i was doing right it may have just been a distraction i've been painting for 20 years but i had a gap where I moved to North Carolina. I got ma- I graduated from college. I got married. I moved to North Carolina. It, it was a lot of transition. And so I kind of, it kind of took a, took a, ba- a back burner for a while. And then when I got separated from my, ex- my ex-husband, I think I needed something to give attention to. Mm-hmm. And I had this space, this empty room in my house at that point and started making smaller paintings in there. And it just felt nice inside. And that was all I had to go by. And then one day other people saw it and they liked it and they helped me push my stuff forward. But I I realized that other people needed to feel good too. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff that I make winds up being simply from the fact that I get, if, if it feels good here when I'm doing it, my hope is that it, it does. It does that for the, the people too, right? Oh, yeah. I know there are a lot of super deep artists who are like, I saw this palm tree and I went to <laughs> Guadalajara and I was in Ghana and I brought back the sand and the texture. No, it's stuff in my head that I need to get out, and that's how that's that's how it manifests itself. Um, and I can't make it unless I feel good. So you'll never buy anything. And have to worry that, oh, how was she feeling when she did this? <laughs> it's always upward and happy and like positive and motivated. It's always where it comes from. And if it doesn't, I don't make it. And right. I don't, I, or I'll, I'll put it to the side, rather. And I'll work on something that does feel good, that does that I, I can move through. Right. Yeah. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So now that you have this awareness mm-hmm. of how... Uh, you make other people feel or how you would like to make other people feel mm-hmm. in what way would you say that you're trying to change the world through your art? Mm. So this might be heavier than what you want. That's okay. So I definitely as like a black artist oftentimes feel a pressure to make art about struggle. Um, the, a lot of the artwork of black artists that's popularized currently or, or, or in the forefront, a lot of it is like, like chains and slavery and lynchings and, 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 and benches and bus stops. And though those dialogues are important to have, that's not our, that's not the, the spectrum of 
every black artist's life. Right. Right. Um, but I definitely constantly feel the pressure to do that. Um, and I fight it cause I know it's not where I feel good and I can't do anything when I don't feel good. Right. Um, have you tried? No. no, I can't even, I can't even get my brain wrapped around it, honestly. Right. But again, those, there's, there's, those dialogues are important. I just, that's not my place. Sure. Um, I am on the other end of happy, good feeling people. So sometimes it's more about a paradigm shift in my, a paradigm shift for other people when they have conversations with me. Right. Because they're so accustomed to my brown skin and my 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 chosen field of work equaling some kind of sad struggle that they walk in wanting that or thinking that dialogue is going to happen. And it's the exact opposite. <laughs> and they pause a little bit. And depending on, you know, how deeply rooted they are in in those ideals um, or not, mm-hmm. um, they come out pretty quick. They come out pretty quickly and like, oh, well, that's beautiful. <laughs> How long does it usually take for them to get it? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Just depends on what side they're on. <laughs> if they're really, really, it's usually the liberal people who take the longest to deal with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like the most well, well-meaning, like marching liberal people are the ones who find it the most challenging because oftentimes my concern is that black people's pain is somebody's inner to someone else, uh, someone else's entertainment. Right. Right. And not entertainment like laughing entertainment, but entertainment is wise as, um, oh, I didn't know this. Now, when I go to the dinner table with my friends, I have some stuff in my cultural backpack that I can pull out and share with you. And we can like have a peeing contest to see who has more cultural information now about other people's culture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that happens a lot. And it's a very narrow version of who a, a group of people are. Right. And in terms of like abstractionist or figure figure whatever i don't know what com which which one i fit into exactly and i'm <laughs> fine with that um but in terms of that a lot of the dialogue of the work is around something doing this downward mm-hmm. and again i like to feel good and i want other people to as well and if i can find ways to do certain imagery and like colors and my own personal like vibrations and emotions from what i'm making right if mm-hmm. i can use all of that to get them there yeah that's that's that upward feeling because we all need to feel good we all have shit every day that is a challenge right everybody whether they talk about it or not we all have something so it's really important to be able to refocus every morning on what what, what you're thankful for like what feels good and have something that, that motivates you. Right. And if, if it can do just a little bit of that, I'm cool. Cool. Is there an art form that you only focus on privately? Like you, you create art uh, within this art form, but you never display or sell those pieces publicly. No, (laughs) 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 no, I tried that. And every time I try it, Someone yells at me and they're like, why don't you, why don't you sell that? <laughs> that's, that's the whoever's voice. That's, that's, but that means you showed it to someone. I, so I just, yeah, no. <laughs> well, what happens is my, so my home is my studio. 
my art studio. So if you come and visit me and you have a glass of Japanese whiskey, anybody's <laughs> welcome to bring Japanese whiskey to my house. Um, <laughs> and, and, or dinner or like fire pit marshmallows. You'll see the things I have going on. Right. Right. So it's pretty in your face, even if I'm not showing it to you, it's there. No hidden drawers. Not really. No. So you see it and, I just gotta, I kind of gotta deal with it. Yeah, I gotta, I have to, and, I, and I'm fine with it at this point. But I definitely was there at the time. There was a time where there, are, there's an item, a piece of merchandise that, for maybe the first two years of me making them, I just made them for myself in my house. And I had a friend that kept telling me, "You need to sell those. People would like that. This is stupid. You're lying. This is, that doesn't make any sense." So one day, I think I might have posted them somewhere. And then it turned into a big thing. It's like, oh, can I get one? How much are those? I said, oh, you were right. Thank you. <laughs> Did you know how to price it initially? I think pricing is always super subjective, right? Um, as much as we want to think about it as, a, you know, as some specific equation, especially with art, it winds up being about, um, sometimes it winds up being about demand or the overhead or some of the hidden costs that people don't realize are there. You know, they right. go, you just, you just painted that on there. You didn't have to do anything else. They don't right. realize some of the other, um, like the aspects or the, the, the process. Right. Um, so I don't think it was hard for me to be the price. Right. Um, I heard a, a, a great approach, uh, recently, uh, that some artists use where, um, they are aware that what they're, uh, making is popular and that other people want it, mm -hmm. but then they have someone else, uh, do the pricing and the, uh, uh, the selling of it so that they're one person removed away from that, which in a, in, in a sense, like it, oh. it felt good to hear because there's always this, uh, kind of annoying thing that you want the artist to not also be a salesperson because then somehow it's more pure. Does that make sense to you? Like I understand. I understand that perspective, right? I completely understand the perspective. So I didn't come through art in a traditional manner. I didn't, I didn't go to college and get, get a degree in art. It's, it happened by way of great people in my life that understood what I wanted to do at a really young age. And they gave me opportunities heavy opportunities for enrichment year after year outside of my regular like classroom on top of really great art teachers in my classroom. Right. right. So I didn't have that, that post high school structure. My issue that I take with those, those programs is that they're not teaching creatives to be entrepreneurs. They are not teaching them that they're their own brand, that they have a product to sell. They're using a very antiquated model of galleries and white wall spaces that are definitely changing. And they're not giving them the tools to be successful creatives, right? So in terms of sales, selling, um, 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 and, and what that looks like structurally, I feel like currently, those personal interactions are beneficial um, to the work, to the story that the person who purchases it gets to tell. Um, that human connection matters. I've had one customer, I remember specifically when, I know what they bought even, that came up, asked how much something was, 
gave me their card, bought it and walked away. And I still have a feel, I still feel some kind of way about it just because every other, even, even if somebody bought something online, we had email dialogue afterwards or before or something. Um, even there across the country, we still talked in some capacity. This woman, I want that. Here's your money. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> right. So for the most part, those interactions matter. Um, I, I try to be mindful of the fact that it is like a, it is a it is, I have a product that is a business and my, my product is something I need to share with mm-hmm. people as opposed to I do this. I don't want to put a price on it. I don't I don't I don't I don't want to talk about money. It's dirty. No money makes it so that you get to keep painting. The thing that scares me the most is the idea that one day I can't do this anymore. That makes me feel like shit. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. So <laughs> if in order for me to be able to continue doing that, I need to pay my bills so that I can eat and have a roof over my head. I'm comfortable with saying this costs this much money, right? Cause it took me this much time and I've been painting for 20 plus years. Right. This isn't a new skill set. No, this right. is a developed skill set that you're getting. Right. So I'm comfortable with an increase in. In. Like the amount that people spend on certain items. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. OK. Uh, along the same lines of uh, what we just uh uh, or what you just talked about when you've done commissioned work, do you feel uh, that that in any way detracts from the artistic aspect? Say, do you consider it less art uh, than something you create entirely on your own terms? No, but this is why let's hear it. Most of the time when people want me to do commission work, I don't, I can't speak for anybody else's situations. They just tell me to make what I want. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> they don't give me a whole lot of structure. Um, I'll say you want a horizontal or vertical painting. Do you want it to be a square? What size? Sometimes they might have a color they like. I might do a little bit of like research on my own by swiping through their Instagram or if I get a chance to visit their home. But uh, I will say that maybe at least 75% of the time people let me go. Even if they say, I want a lady to stand it, or I want a painting of myself. That's it. Right. That's all. Have you ever I, had an unhappy customer? No, I'm so scared of it. I'm so afraid. <laughs> um, and that, but I'm more scared with the people who tell me to do whatever, because right. It's like, honey, what do you want for dinner? Whatever. <laughs> and then you bring home tacos. And she's like, you know, I didn't want any dairy tonight. <laughs> right? right? So so it's, it's, it's a little different, but I'm really, really thankful that people trust me that much. Oh, yeah. I don't know what other people are doing in regards to that. Um, but I'm just really thankful that people trust me enough to let me kind of go. But you mentioned 75% that and just to prod you a little bit here that sounds like there have been incidents where where you had to compromise to some extent yeah 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 yeah. and Um, in those situations do you feel that that takes away any of the artistic aspect i'm not sure um it's 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 a definitely a different feeling 
So I try to explain when I get in like a like a like an artsy painting zone or whatever. I try to explain it's like a, I feel like um like a like a, it's like a it's like a it's a buzz um like you're driving a really fast car down a oh remember that I can't remember what the movie was you could it's called like um like like vision was it called uh, tunnel not tunnel vision but there's a word for it that that's referencing to race car drivers of how they can see what's coming. Oh. As they come around the as they come around the curve, right? Mm-hmm. It feels like that. It's like right. a buzz like that, right? Because I know in my head what I want it to be, and I know when to stop because I feel it right in my chest. But it's like a it's a buzz, and that is what happens when I'm in my true, I guess, true creative space. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm outside of it, I'm like, all right. This needs to be done. Right. Uh, can I do it right now? And if I get stuck painting the same little section over and over, I just stop. Right. Until I can get something, some some of that. I need a piece of that to work with. It's just not at its full capacity. Right. So that's the challenge is that it just isn't at its full capacity. It does exist. It's still functional. It's still alive. It's just not at the same capacity. Right. But I'm usually working on three or five things at a time. So that helps. Yeah. Right. It's like if you're cooking five different cakes, take different kinds of flavored cakes or like baked goods. One's a pie and one's a cake and some some fudge or something. Right. You'll feel good about something in the process because it's all a little bit different, but it's the same. So would you say that uh, the bus you're describing, would you say that that's reserved for a few people, you know, the true artists? Or is that uh, a bus that uh, a creative bus that basically any human being can Uh, achieve or feel I think it's something that you can get through whatever you're really passionate about I can't imagine that we got put here to like wander around and run into walls and be sad in cubicles right I think that we all have something that we're really passionate about that we're really good at sometimes you can just sit in a cubicle and do it right sometimes it's math or science or some kind of engineering or architecture or some kind of specific area of biology right sometimes it's more creative but when you find that thing oh yeah you can get in it you can get in it and and that's i think that's one of the reasons why entrepreneurs get lost in time sometimes um they lose track or they work more right um I even have a friend who's a dentist and he really likes being a dentist. Okay. <laughs> really likes it. He really is really good and passionate about what he does. Um, and people are like, Oh, you must have everything. You must be really easy. He's like, no, that's not, that's not what this is. I'm not a, I'm not a dentist cause it's easy. I really like it. And he devotes lots of extra energy outside of seeing his patients to the things he does there. He spends a lot of extra time, uh, doing the back end stuff that, n- that no business owner wants to do or likes to do. Right. But we know that it's part of us being able to do what we're passionate about. Right. We're more comfortable working on Sunday at two forty-five in the afternoon because it feels good. It doesn't hurt. Right. Right. It's just that, I guess it just doesn't hurt. Right. So what if there's uh, someone out there uh, who has a regular nine to five job, mm-hmm. uh, but they are really eager to make a living as an artist instead? What mm-hmm. would your advice be to them? 
And let mm-hmm. let's not uh, question whether or not they have talent. Let's just say they have <laughs> a, a sufficient amount We're, of talent we'll to assume. potentially. Right, right. To, I got you. We'll assume they have some talents. Right. Um, let's see. Because you're trying to transition, right? Mm-hmm. And at some point, you're going to have to let go of one thing that you're doing. I'll assume that's your goal. If that's your goal, um, walk into it with knowledge, not just about your craft, but uh, about the, 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 the business aspect of it. And I don't just mean like taxes and shit. That's never anybody's fun. They're out there. <laughs> yeah, the devil is taxes. <laughs> um, I mean like um, marketing. Right. Right? Um, uh, opportunities for you to, to, to network. Um meet people in the industry or the field that you're interested in, right? Make friends. Sometimes they can give you shortcuts to create, to, to, to how to create something more um, affordable and in a more in a more affordable manner, or just always beneficial to have people to do what you do. They understand. And they've been where you're trying to go oftentimes. Right. So it's, it's important to have some kind of people to reference to somebody, somebody that does what you're doing to talk to. Um, and then time, make a bunch of stuff and be OK with some of it being crappy. you got to be OK with something being crappy. For how I many got, years should you be a crappy artist? I mean, you always make crappy stuff <laughs> like everybody does. It's just that you don't know about it because they hide that shit <laughs> like they hide it or they paint over it. Everybody makes something they think is crappy. That's why there's songs that Tupac made that we don't hear still because he didn't like them. Right. There's songs that he that, or Michael Jackson that we never heard. And we want we want an album like, a, you know, they're, they're, they're after death albums. And there is a lock and key on that shit because nobody, nobody like somebody signed off and said, you can't play this because he hates this music. Right. right. Um, every every creative person has something crappy that they made. Right. Can you do without ever showing anyone? Can you describe something and an artistic effort that you made, but it was truly crappy and no one's ever going to see it? There's this lady upstairs in my art room and I kept trying and trying to redo it and go back over and through it. And she's been there for like four years and I've kind of given up. I just don't want to throw the canvas away. (laughs) Right. It's just weird to put energy into something. Like if you bake 10 cakes and then you're like, these are all shitty cakes. You don't want to throw them away. Um, and so it's just up there. And there's this other thing. There's a couple of, I was kind of trying to do this like decoupage and paint over thing with some, um, some clippings from um, Obama's first election when the day after his, uh, when he won the presidency mm-hmm. and it's just upstairs decoupage to a canvas. Um, the upside is that it's being preserved. Cause it's paper, it's newsprint, but there are a few things that just never, and they're just there. There's probably about six or seven things. Do you think you'll grow into liking them when you're 60? I don't know. They're just there. I, I, I don't know what to do with them, honestly. But you, you painted for uh, several decades at this point. Yeah. If you, go, if you go back and look at some of your early, early stuff, mm-hmm. does, doesn't it seem endearing to you now in a way that it didn't at the time? I don't think I made as much crappy art back then. <laughs> okay. A lot of the stuff, a lot, <laughs> like a lot of the stuff. Yeah, it was, I think I got more comfortable with 
with with with risk taking. The right. older I got, which is backwards, but I got more comfortable with like risk take, risk taking and just doing and going and following that through instead of overthinking it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's another place that I find like my unique creativity at it started being an inner voice where it was like, Hey, you, you, you see your neighbor walking down the street and, and you, you, something tells you to stop and you stop and you find out that, um, they, they, the car, the car, um, battery died, but their kids having a bunch of asthma attacks. They need to go get an inhaler cause their kid's sick. And, and you stopping is what you were supposed to do so that you could help them get where they needed to get to help their kid. Right. right. And once I started realizing that the world was kind of kind of like that in regards to my interaction with humans and I got comfortable there, then I was able to, I don't think I did it on, I don't know if I did it on purpose initially, but I, I was open to um, things flowing as right. opposed to trying to force them and be in control of it. And that's kind of how I work with art. It's, all, it's like the whole inner voice. All right, this is what I'm supposed to do. Let's see what happens when I make that. Oh, that feels good. Keep going. Oh, that works. That's that's all it is. Stroke for stroke. It's not too much planning. You just got to let it go. It sounds like a spiritual philosophy almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It, it winds up, wound up being that way. Oh, goodness, yeah. And then I started... I started listening to like oh, all this fun law of attraction stuff and it just made it more like creative hoity-toity stuff <laughs> of like, if you feel good about it and you speak, you speak the right words into your life, the universe gives you what you ask for. And it kind of does. Right. People, everybody doesn't like that, but <laughs> I've had some super awesome stuff happen just off of feeling good about the people I know and the people I don't know and uh, being excited about what life can be. Right. What music, if any, do you listen to when you paint? So I know that artists listen to music. I don't listen to music when I paint. I you sing. No, no. I watch things that are dialogue rich because I can't stare at the screen. So interview, I watch a lot of interviews YouTube's my buddy in regards to this. So like interviews, documentaries. Oh, if there's a docu-series and I don't have to keep pushing buttons and <laughs> I can like watch it for five and a half hours. I'm so geeked. So documentaries, docu-series, interviews, podcasts, like because, you know, they put them on YouTube. You can see the video stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, Red Bull Academy stuff. I like Red Bull Academy. Oh, yeah. Um, any hip hop docu series, documentary music stuff that's related that way, I love it. I've watched documentary on Helvetica two or three times <laughs> on Helvetica. <laughs> yeah, like the font. <laughs> if people don't know what I'm talking about, the right. font. Um, so anything like that because I can't read while I paint, mm-hmm. and I like learning. I don't like school, but I like learning. So um, it's a good way to learn a lot of new information. And it's entertaining to me. So that's what I do when I paint. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the the last question here, which is kind of a, a grand one. Um, over the last couple of years, I've noticed that your name has popped up in all kinds of places and contexts. And definitely more than any other local artist that I've, so nice. I, I've noticed. Well, that's just the fact. Um, so are you at all surprised by the significant success that you have achieved over these last few years, or does it feel completely natural to you to have gained this level of recognition of your work? How dare you ask me questions <laughs> like that? 
Um, I'm giving you two options. You don't man, have it's to. weird. That's what I'll say. <laughs> it's it's weird to walk around the farmer's market and some 47 year old lady come and ask you if your name is who you are. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, and want a hug. Um, and about the eighth time that it happened, I just realized that that's what it was. And it was all right because it was never like malice or weird. For the most part, it was just happy people that I made feel good. And that's so awesome. Yeah. Like, how do you get mad that you did something out of your own hands and brain that made people feel good enough to want to hug you? <laughs> <laughs> how do you? I didn't have to cook them anything. Right. Like, I didn't give them money. I just made something that they saw and it made them feel good so that they were and they were excited and happy. Right. So that's pretty cool. Right. But that actually reminds me uh, of another interview I did uh, with Conor Oberst, the singer songwriter, mm -hmm. uh, who uh, writes very um, uh, emotional music about a lot of mental uh, issues mm -hmm. that he has and that other people have. So a lot of his fans, uh, or a lot of the people he attracts, mm -hmm. are people that have a lot of issues, and uh -huh. that can be uncomfortable for him. And he talked about that. So it's kind of interesting that it reflects in that way, because you make feel-good stuff, so people feel good. Yeah! And then when they meet you, you also feel good. So it kind of adds yeah. up. Yeah! <laughs> so, so I don't know if it's like, oh, I expected it. Didn't, did I'm you just, have a sense that it was a matter of time before you? I don't even know what you're talking one? about, low key. Hey, <laughs> because like, I know some you seem other to have some awareness. Ah, uh, I know, I know that strangers come and talk to me, right? I know, I know it because people tell me. But you have a lot of work that you probably didn't have, say, five years ago. Yeah, that's success, right? Yeah. So I'm not just talking about like being a local celebrity or anything like that. More so. Uh, which you are if people come up to you at the farmer's market, right? I, I'm talking about it in the sense of like your professional accomplishment. Like you might have done it for 20 years, but things yeah, seem I to have taken off yeah, over the yeah. last few years. Yeah, so I look at it differently. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely, I remember uh, the shift of me looking at what I did a little bit differently than previously. Because I definitely function from that more antiquated model. No shade, but the idea of waiting for somebody to see what you do. Right. Um. And, and I definitely remember being frustrated with some of the powers that be, the creative powers that be, mm -hmm. and saying things like, we should do this. We should structure this. You want to, I can, I can help you. We should figure this out. And one day saying, all right, that's fine. It's cool. So I'm going to make this thing called Paint Durham. And it's going to be like an art, music, and cultural showcase. And I'm going to put my paintings in it and bring musicians and partner with local businesses that I think are cool and new that people want to know about. And we're going to have raffles and singing and art on display and cigar rolling and like bourbon tastings. I'm just going to do it myself. Right. And letting go and just doing something that... I felt good about um, that also was beneficial to me in regards to meeting new customers and sharing my work a little bit broader. That might have helped too. I had these guys that helped. Did you read about those guys? Did there are these so, guys, some of my friends yeah. that made me do this. Mm -hmm. They made me. They were like, you're going to be our fall project. <laughs> I said, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so they're like, one of them got me my first art show in Carborough. in Carborough. Looking glass, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I remember who bought a painting there. Her name's Anitra. She bought a painting. Um, 
and all of my friends came and then another friend is like, we're going to make your website and here's a business card. Do you like this design or do you like this design? I was like, that design. <laughs> and the other one was like, you're an artist. I was like, I don't like that word. You're an artist. I was like, fine. I'm an artist. So what did you prefer at the time? The thing is that art artist is attached to these big people. Right. Sure. It's like if you call yourself a professional basketball player. Right. You have to you, you you're thought of in the same light as others that have that title. And I don't think I was comfortable with it. Right. Now I'm like, whatever. It's fine. It's cool. Yeah. And, and it's 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 at a point where it's weird to think about. It's not it's not to be morbid. But no, I'll no. be gone one day. And I'm interested. I'll be gone. But I, so I can't really be interested. But. What what the dialogue around this stuff will be because there's enough of it right i didn't make 10 paintings i don't even know anymore i have to go look at the list and the numbers i don't know anymore but i made enough that i they're, they're not just gonna wind up at the goodwill right <laughs> right <laughs> and uh, that's just an interesting thing people talk about their legacy mm -hmm. i'm single i'm unmarried i don't have any children my paintings are my babies currently right so just wondering uh, like the if they'll continue to have good feeling impacts on people, like as time goes on, that's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a little early to think about your legacy. I, hey, <laughs> this is what happens when you watch too many documentaries. <laughs> you think about your legacy. Yeah. Uh, and, and then when you, like I said, how old am I? 37. And so when you get to a certain age and, you know, you're you're around other folks and like, they're kind of talking about they're doing grown up stuff, doing really grown up stuff, like making humans and all that. <laughs> right. Those conversations wind up coming up. I, I want to make sure that my kids and my grandkids, I'm like, who are my kids and my grandkids? <laughs> my kids and my grandkids are canvases currently. Right. That's not how it has to be forever. But right now, that's just what it is. And I'm yeah. okay with it. So that's, so when I think about it, when I, that's my, that's my, um, perspective. There you go. Yeah. That's where, that's where I shift to. That was the conclusion of my interview with Candy Carver. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. This episode was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Miguel Elbeck. And the theme tune was done by Jason Lytle of Granddaddy. If you haven't checked out their latest offering, Bison on the Plains, I'd highly recommend it. And if you don't want to miss out on future episodes of Torah Town Talks, don't forget to subscribe. Thanks a lot for listening.